Hi there, this is Jeff Otis, Senior Wealth Consultant and Partner at Evergreen GovCal, and you're listening to Coffee with Evergreen on the Evergreen Exchange. I hope you enjoy this 15-minute conversation between myself and our Director of Investments, Jeff Dix. As always, thanks for listening. All right, well, Jeff, thanks for being with us today in our next uh, Coffee with Evergreen. And let's get started uh, right out of the gates here with the biggest story of the week so far, GameStop and other heavily shorted stocks. Maybe from your view, what's happening? Why does it matter? How is it impacting markets? And let's start there. Thanks, Jeff, for having me. It's certainly been uh, a a crazy story this week with GameStop and some of these other stocks. So just to kind of go over it, GameStop's up 1,733% year-to-date. 800% over the last week. And essentially what's happened uh, is a major short squeeze on the stock. A large base of investors have basically targeted GME, given there's been a really, really high amount of short interest, which is basically investors that have sold sold the stock short. Um, And then there's this um, forum on Reddit, Wall Street Bets, um, which is around 2 million users Um, and other social media boards as well. But there's been a massive amount of momentum and retail interest. And if you look at the amount of uh, shares sold short, that reached as high as 140% of the total float, which is the number of available shares that that are available to the public. Um, And and when you short a stock, there's there's unlimited downside, just like when you buy a stock, there's unlimited upside. Um, so short sellers need to post margin, um, and as their mark-to-market position goes down, you need to post more collateral. So if a stock goes up like it has with GameStop, 1,700%, it's extremely painful for shorts. And, and, and eventually, if you don't have the margin, you need to cover your short, which essentially means you need to buy the shares which creates additional buying pressure. In addition, all these retail investors have been buying call options on the stock itself. And what happens when retail investors buy call options is the banks that write those call options or issue those call options need to buy the shares because those banks don't want to be um, naked those call option positions. So they basically want to hedge their position. So they issue the option. Um, or they write the option and then they buy the share. So it's created all this pressure, upward pressure on the stock. And then in addition, you have these hedge funds that are needing to liquidate their positions. And then it just kind of manifests from there and the retail community catches, catches wind of it and sees the stock going up. That creates more buying pressure. Elon Musk just tweeted about GameStop the other day. That probably creates even, even more pressure on it. And what's interesting to what's happened is the hedge funds have actually started to exit their short positions, but the short interest has remained above 100% of the shares outstanding, which actually means as these hedge funds have liquidated their shorts or covered their shorts, other investors have started to short the stock. So while the stock is so detached from fundamentals, and we can talk about the fundamentals in a minute, the shorts are getting margin calls and it can be even more painful and this actually could continue for this could continue given the shorts are still such a high percentage of the floating floating uh, the float outstanding and in terms of you look at the fundamentals on GameStop and I and I I would call this stock an absolute bubble no doubt about it about it in my mind GameStop's market price uh, closed today I think at around 338 
And to put this in perspective, the book value of the company is only $5. So that's essentially assets minus liabilities, what the equity on the balance sheet's worth. And, you know, stocks can trade above their book value at times when they depreciate their assets or if their assets are, you know, very valuable. But GameStop's trading at 65 times their book value. The market cap's $23.5 billion, or that, that book value is $335 million. If you actually look at the assets on GameStop's balance sheet, they're just they're not super attractive. I mean, cash is a big chunk. Uh, they've been bleeding cash, cash. So, you, so why would you put a premium on cash? Uh, they have a big inventory position. Maybe the inventory is worth what it's what it is on their balance sheet. And then they have property, plant, and equipment, which is another big big asset for them. And and they've been rapidly closing stores um, as they attempt to move to an e-commerce model. So the stock really probably should trade below book value, which is five bucks. You know, maybe there's some optionality as they move to an e-commerce company, they have some new management, but it's just just significantly detached from from reality at this point. And it's it's not really a healthy environment. You know, the SEC potentially should step in. There's you know the the new head of the SEC hasn't officially been um, confirmed or has been confirmed is not officially in office yet. So. There's a lack of leadership at the SEC, um, but it's not really a healthy environment for the market, and we've started to see that today with the overall market pulling back a bit. Yeah, it's a big story. I'm hearing I'm hearing a ton of it. I get texts from you know not just clients but friends. You know, like what is going on with these things? You know, so obviously there's a lot of attention eyeballs on it. But I thought it was a really helpful overview of what's going on, and you know, maybe bottom line there is be careful, right? Be careful what you're buying. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, even it, though they, even job. though you know these things, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say, you know, the sad part is the retail investors that are gonna pile in at the end are gonna end up getting killed. Even the guys that buy it, say a hundred, maybe it's three hundred now. Who knows? Maybe it goes to a thousand. I know that's what a lot of the message boards say, uh, but I think you know, you know, whether it's two weeks from now, one week from now, a month from now, I think this thing probably goes back down to twenty. Maybe it goes back down to five bucks. And all these all these retail investors that went in at the end are going to get killed. Well, stay tuned. We'll see how that plays out. Um, let's move on to the next uh, next question here. Uh, you, we've seen these these uh, variants of COVID start popping up in different places of the world, UK, uh, South Africa. Let's chat about that. Is, is that a real threat that we should be monitoring? What, how's that going to impact markets? What kind of what's your thoughts on on the COVID variants that we're seeing? Yeah, I think. Uh, a COVID variant or mutation that is resistant to the current vaccines is probably the biggest risk facing the market. So, uh, you know, a variant that um, is resistant and can spread, you know, for anyone that's got a vaccine, that would that would probably be the biggest risk facing the market because that may mean we would have to reclose the economies. Um, this would drag on further. Fortunately, so far, Pfizer came out two weeks ago that their vaccine was effective versus the UK and the South African variant. Moderna also said their vaccine produced neutralizing antibodies with both strains, though Moderna did say it might be less, uh, slightly less, have slightly less efficacy. Um, Moderna is developing a booster shot that'll specifically target the South African variant. So at this point, that's really good news, um, given those new variants have popped up and the vaccines have been effective. But it does remain a tail risk that a new variant could pop up. But in addition, you know, we are ramping up our vaccine distribution. Uh, you know, Biden ordered another 100 million doses. Pfizer announced that they'll have 200 million doses ready two months earlier than expected. 
they change their labels uh, and, effect, and essentially they're able to yield more doses per vial. J&J uh, is very close to approval. If that is effective as well, they'll have 100 million doses ready to spring. You know, we've also started to see the COVID spike from the holiday season begin to die down. Deaths are starting to fall. Hospitalizations have already fallen. As our elderly and at-risk get vaccinated first, which they've started to get vaccinated, I really think that'll allow us to reopen more fully. In addition, as we get to the middle of the year, the vaccine should ramp even quicker, you know, as J&Js gets announced. There still are distribution, logistical risks. I think we'll figure those out. And the tail risk still remains that a new strain could come out that's resistant. But at this point, it looks like uh, we will be able to reopen later this year. Hopefully we get back, uh, schools get back to in-person learning, you know, end of this semester, certainly, you know, the fall semester of 2021. Uh, we do believe economic growth is going to be very strong this year. Real GDP growth should be in the 5 to 6% range. As we look to the back half of the year, the economy should be back to a more normalized level. So we're optimistic that earnings are going to be very strong this year. Growth is going to be very strong. Uh, you know, looking to the back half of the year, you know, COVID should be largely behind us, at least in the U.S. And then, you know, as the vaccine gets distributed around the world, uh, hopefully around the world as well. Well, I'm hearing optimism, which is music to my ears, as as you know. I mean, I'm maybe not even a glass half full guy, like a glass 90% full guy. Uh, but let's just so if we're if we're optimistic looking forward, what what's a sector that you think will benefit? Yeah, that's a good question, Jeff. And you you think about a lot of the beaten up sectors, and, and a lot of them have rebounded pretty significantly. So I'm going to go with one that that hasn't participated quite as much. Um, certainly, there's some negatives surrounding it right now, and specifically what I'm talking about is, uh, is real estate investment trusts, publicly traded real estate, and specifically the subsector of multifamily. A lot of these multifamily REITs are still down 30%. You know, during COVID, there's been a huge shift from people wanting to live in the city, you know, in multifamily units to moving outside of the city back to, you know, single family homes. That's created a major pricing gap between the two. So you have single-family uh, single home prices going up, you know, mid-single digits, while you have multifamily rents falling significantly. There's also been a huge shift uh, last year to a lot of 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds that have moved home to live with their family and let their lease lapse. So they're living as they work from home, they're living at home maybe with their parents. And I, I do think as we get to the back half of this year, when employers, I should say many employers, begin to require their employees to return to work, you'll see better demand for uh, multifamily in general. I think more people are going to be more comfortable living in close proximity once they're vaccinated. In addition, even in the, in the bigger cities, I, you know, restaurant and service employees will also be able to return to the city. So you're going to get more vibrant, more vibrant traffic through the cities, and I think people are going to be more willing to live say, in multifamily in close proximity, you know, especially as the vaccine kind of, you know, gets under control. You look at the multifamily REIT sector, trades at around 18 to 20 times underlying free cash flow um, or adjusted funds from operation. Um, you know, those multiples were 26 times just a year or two ago. So while the stock market and the bond market are trading very, very expensively, multifamily REITs do trade at a discount. If you look at REITs, they've lagged the S&P 500 by about 100% over the last five years. Dividend yields are right around 4%. Uh, 
that's a 3% premium to the 10-year Treasury. If you look back a couple of years ago, that premium was about 0 to 1% versus the 10-year. So the yield spread is attractive. In addition, interest rates are very low, so financing costs have improved. That's going to lead to better you know, cash-on-cash returns for these multifamily projects. Uh, fundamentals will be strained, I should say, this year. You know, you have a little bit higher occupancy. That's starting to improve. You're seeing rent concessions um, that are that are fairly elevated. So maybe, you know, offering one to two months of free rent, uh, free parking. You know, I think that that should step up to a more normalized rent level as as those uh, concessions you know expire. And, and then, you know, even looking out, say, at the back half of this year, I think you'll start to see rent renewals at higher rent levels. I do think over the next two to three years, these publicly traded multifamily REITs should get back to their, their highs from last year, and maybe even higher given a lower interest rate environment. Uh, and, you know, these, these things are down 30%. So if you go up another 30%, that's almost a 50% move from, from here. And then you, and you add on the 4% cash flow per year, that that presents a really good good uh, total return potential. But we're limping into the space, Jeff, as you know. You know, like I said, fundamentals are still strained, and they will be for Q1, Q2. So we're, we're selectively buying into this space, but we think it's very attractive. I love it. That's good. That's a good recap, a thorough recap. Um, and you can't get out of here with at least one bonus question. And as listeners that follow us know, I, I threw a Jeff Yulberg a week ago you know, predictions of the AFC NFC championship game. And he went one for two. I think Aaron Rodgers let him down. Uh, but I'm coming now, you know, we're not always going to go sports theme with this bonus question, but since Super Bowl is ahead, I'm going to throw at you what, you know, what is your Super Bowl prediction? And you're either going to do better than Jeff, Jeff did or worse, right? You got one, you only got one game to select from. So what do you think is going to happen in the Super Bowl? Well, I'm probably going to go 0 for 1 because I'm choosing the underdog here. I'm going to go with Tampa Bay. Hard to bet against Tom Brady. Uh, you know, he's won, what is it, six Super Bowls now. Uh, I think Tampa Bay's D-line looked really good against Aaron Rodgers. That's a critical component of the Super Bowl if you know to get pressure on the opposing quarterback. I also think it's just really hard to win two Super Bowls in a row. And, you know, I, I, I think Tampa Bay has a lot of good offensive weapons. So I'm going to I'm gonna go with Tampa Bay, the underdog. There you go. There, you, there you've heard it. So, all right, well, I appreciate your time. We try to get in and out of these in, what, 10, you know, 10 minutes or so, something like that. And uh, we'll do this again. Sounds good, Jeff. Thanks.